welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. All right, we are live. The channel says preparing to live stream. There is always a delay, so it's a bit of a mess starting out here. Uh, but this is the investing power hour. This is number 14. So we're getting in the teens. This is becoming a consistent routine for us. Uh, if you're wa- wherever you're listening, you can watch this every Thursday at 12 p.m. Pacific time or 3 p.m. Eastern time on YouTube. Just look at the Chit Chat Money YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can re-listen to it and it comes out every Sunday. All right, Ryan, the only rule for this show is no preparation. So how are you feeling about the markets this week? We're back. The markets are back. Uh, Everyone's happy. Dead cat bounce. Dead cat bounce. Okay. It will be. I I don't know. The problem is everyone keeps saying it's a dead cat bounce, which makes me think like maybe it isn't. But, uh, and it's, it's happened like 10 times on the way down recently. So I I feel like everyone's just like, oh, it's going to happen again. But I don't know. I don't really care. (laughs) I don't, I don't care, but it's, it's pretty entertaining. It is fun to see. And it, it obviously affects us as well. When short term moves are so volatile, volatile upwards or downwards. It can really affect um, your emotions. Uh, it's tough to be aware of that, if you get what I mean. You know what's funny is no one, whenever I hear people say, like, obviously it's volatile, no one's ever referring to the upside. That is true. Like they're, they're only referring to the downside. People are, whenever I hear people like recommend some crypto, they're like, just, you know, be aware that it is volatile. It's not them saying, like, Oh, it's it could go up a lot. It's them saying like this could go to zero. And so it's like I don't know. I hate when I hate when people use the word volatile. You could just say yeah. like this this is risky. Well. That's true. It's well they use it in the wrong volatility, yeah, volatility used correctly can be useful. But just in that it can have swings either way, but no one ever uses it that way, I feel like. Yeah, agreed. Everyone talks about it as basically market drops. And well, there's a lot of volatility on the way up in a lot of stocks. Blow off tops, February 2021, throughout the last year. So who knows? All right. Anything you've been looking at this week? Anything interesting? I've been thinking about meta platforms. I know we discussed it last week. Um. I don't know. I think Instagram, it feels like everyone is still on it. And that's all I got to say. I feel like that's the long thesis right there at this price. Yeah, it is like I was with, I was at a large gathering this week and there were a lot of young people and everyone's still on Instagram. Like that's true. the world's still the world's still like a lot of people live for Instagram. They're like, 
oh, I'm going to go to this place solely to get a picture so that I can post it. I'm like, what? what? Yeah. I don't know. Was this yeah, a, maybe that's the meta thesis right there? Yeah. Was this our producer slash uh, co owner of the company's wedding? Uh, yes. Congrats to him. The man behind the glass. The man, yes. The man behind the Zoom, uh, Brady, Ryan's brother, third member of the team. So everyone, I know he's not on social in our socials, but everyone, good thoughts. He had his wedding. So congrats to him. Um, but yeah, that is the prime time. I mean, weddings, I mean, that's got to be one of the number one besides maybe like those big music festivals or concerts, stuff like that. I mean, weddings is prime time Instagram. What a glorification. I, I don't even know what the right term is, but it's the so right much. It's, it's a perfect Instagram uh, event, I guess, is probably the way to describe it. There wasn't even it wasn't even like that. Like some I feel like some venues are literally Instagramified if that's a word, like they've been built for people to take pictures and post them. This was more just like, it's a wedding. You take pictures, you'll probably post them, but it, I don't know. Like Instagram, I think still rules social media. I know, I know TikTok is like consuming people's hours, but I've heard, and this is not that useful, but I've heard a lot of people get exhausted of TikTok because it's so, they spend so much time on it and it becomes so addictive that they have to get off as opposed gotcha. to Instagram. It's like a durable addiction. Right. If that makes TikTok, sense. Yeah. No, I got you. TikTok is meth and uh, Instagram is caffeine. That's a good way to put it. I was going to say, it's like, it's too hard of uh, the social media drug. It's that yeah. Instagram's more. I know. Easy, easy. And we're not even talking financials about anything, uh, but <laughs> I mean, that feels like the log thesis right there. And it's so it's more dominant across the world. India's banned TikTok. All right. But we talked about that last week. Let's do other topics. Um, oh, gosh, there was one on my mind, but we're not supposed to prepare. So let me go through my um, I uh, I spent the- some time like just filling out some spread doing some spreadsheet work for dropbox this week because it's uh, it's overdue and that business everyone thinks is dead but they just keep growing and i know we own it so it's like just i don't know if you're a listener be cognizant of that but uh everyone hates them they all they're like oh the platform's gone nowhere but subscribers have gone revenue i i believe it's compounded at like 18 or 19 percent like high teens i could probably pull it up right now actually i think which if someone are you sure it's that high i thought it was slightly lower but maybe it's slowed down recently yeah it was a little faster up until last year but i'm gonna pull it up because as of the most recent quarter uh, as in the most recent quarter, revenues compounded since twenty since twenty eighteen. Q one revenue has compounded fifteen and a half percent, so not as high, but as a yeah. Last year, from twenty seventeen to twenty twenty one, it had compounded at twenty percent. Gotcha. Gotcha. So a bit of a slowdown, but still quite quite a. If if you just read 
the financials off and you said, all right, name this company, grow, grew revenue north of 15% for the last five years, free cash flow margins of whatever it is, 30%, reducing share count, most like 16 million, I think it's what it's at, subscribers and has raised prices by 5% a year. I don't think most people would guess Dropbox. Yeah, it is. It's weird whenever. So like, say we're having a conversation with someone and we say, yeah, we own Dropbox. We think it's really cheap, durable, and people kind of just do the same. And it, it's not like against nothing against. It bores them. Yeah, they go. That's boring. And uh, they say, well, isn't Google just going to eat their lunch? Isn't all those other companies just going to eat their lunch? What have they even done? And to me, that is honestly a bullish indicator because you want the stock cheap if they're going to run this buyback program. But yeah. here's here's something, uh, a different topic. Wait, let me pull up the like tweets here. Okay, this is a good tweet from, what was it, yesterday? From Frugal Mogul, which is a good name <laughs> on Twitter. You can have either $5 million today or $1 billion in 60 years. What do you pick? So I saw that tweet and I saw someone did the the compounded growth rate. The discount or something? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it was like nine and a half percent. I think. Oh, you're gonna you think you're gonna have to perform that? <laughs> I'd like to think that I could, but I'll take five percent or I'll I'll take the five million now. Purely because I would just want it while I'm younger. That's true. The interesting like, thing, like, there's though, just less things I can do with a billion dollars when I'm 80 than when I'm than five million that I could do with when I'm 20, 25, say. And we're not allowed to take out debt. Um, basically, like someone like Berkshire Hathaway gives you, you know, some of the money now at an interest rate for the billion dollars. If you get what I mean, we're not allowed to do that cheat code. Yeah, no. I'm just. You know, it's more fun to have, like, it's in my mind, it would be more fun to have 5 million at the age of 20 than a billion at the age of 80. 5 million at the age of 20. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's dangerous though. Um, but you could, yeah, if you don't have that cheat code, you're obviously not getting it until. And let's, 80. let's assume that from here, the index dividends reinvested annualizes eight or nine percent yeah i'd probably say more like seven but we are off what 20 percent yeah but still i mean whatever yeah everyone but 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 everyone's been saying that for the last 25 years they've been saying well it's not going to compound at that high of a rate true and it's it's stayed so maybe maybe we're wrong let's say it compounds at eight percent i would rather have a risky, I would rather take the risk that I could do it myself and get more because yeah. that, that process is more fun too. the whole life's too short to index. And you're basically getting index performance from 5 million to a billion in 60 years. Yeah. I totally agree with that. All right. Here's another thing. So there's the Amazon prime day, which is kind of a weird thing, but uh, buy with prime launched uh, in conjunction with this. For a few websites, I think they're still kind of beta testing it. 
I went to one of the websites. There was nothing that interested me. It was like weight loss stuff. <laughs> um, one of those kind of sites that gives you those like powder bags that are like these weird nutrition things are going to help you lose weight, blah, 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 magic stuff. But uh, everything costs like 50 bucks for one of those pouches. But even before you go to add to cart, so it's not buy with prime isn't going to be when you click add to cart and then go to your whatever payment thing. It's actually before that. So you have add to cart or buy with prime. And when I clicked buy with prime, I had to confirm my login, which it's already on the computer. So I logged in and then it has my credit card information already. It has my delivery address already from Amazon, no shipping next day delivery. Uh, or sorry, no shipping costs and next day delivery. It was like a three click process. I think that if they execute this correctly, it could be dangerous for some of the um, website builders or the payment stuff uh, associated with that. But it's a huge industry. You know, it could be dangerous. Online, for, it could be dangerous for the website builders that generate a lot of their revenue from the transaction process. Yes, exactly. Or is, I mean, because okay, I will say this. So or even PayPal, even PayPal, maybe. Yeah, we own. We own. Is Stripe in that? Is Amazon a Stripe customer? They're not. Oh, that is a good question. I want to. I want to say I do not know this for sure. I want to say they use something from J.P. Morgan, but yeah, Stripe. I mean, Stripe and Shopify have a huge partnership. Yeah, the uh, that does feel like a bit of a a killer to a large portion of Shopify's revenue. It's such a good, the value of Prime just keeps growing. And now you're seeing the Grubhub thing. Oh yeah, I wanted to, that's what I wanted to talk about. Let's talk about that next. Table that, let's talk about that next. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are miles from home and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high-speed Wi-Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning, get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast. Or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com. Infrastructure as a service. That's what it is, right? Essentially, IAS. Sort of, I'm in. I mean, it's such such a brilliant move. And I can't believe, yeah, they have to execute it right. And I would think that this gets a lot of adoption. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe merchants like just don't want Amazon involved at all. But if they do and they understand the convenience for customers, this is like such a brilliant move. And it took them a whole bunch of excess uh, fulfillment capacity to do it, which shocks me. Like why, exactly. why were they waiting? It was like, They built it all out, said, wow, we overbuilt. How do we service this now? Oh, we'll let other people on. Why didn't they do this earlier? I Maybe they just couldn't. uh, But I don't know. I think they wanted to go out with a bang because if they had to beta test this for a while, say like two, three years, they didn't have the capacity to roll it out to a ton of people because they were worried they wouldn't be able to fulfill one day or two day shipping. Maybe that would give someone like Shopify a chance to counterpunch. And now if they can roll this out within six months or something like that, that it's just going to be tough for Shopify to respond. 
and and everyone else really yeah the good thing this would suck so shopify isn't the only one that has added this a whole bunch of other websites have added it wix has added it for any of their merchants big commerce or uh big commerce squarespace i assume has added it um i imagine all the website builders have but shopify has the most revenue as a most revenue from transactions as a percentage of their revenue of the other website builders most of the website builders generate the largest portion of the revenue from the subscriptions shopify now potentially to their detriment has gone beyond that and and made it the transactions which whatever they still have the core subscription business which is great but the market has priced or did price in still no still priced in definitely growth in transaction revenue so it's i don't know it would worry me as a shopify shareholder but i've also heard the argument that there's a little bit of reluctance from the merchant side to include anything amazon related in the process i th- i would think though that they would know better but i think that's anecdotal but not in practice cuz you can still Almost everyone, but what, like Nike, the top brands have their stuff on Amazon. Yeah. Who are the brands that don't? Nike, Lululemon. I don't know for sure Lululemon, but I believe so. I know Nike for sure. That was a big thing. They had a spat with them because of the knockoffs, stuff like that. Um, I don't know Apple. There's been a lot of discussion with that, but I believe they do not. And that is right in their ethos. Um, but yeah, most people are going to be on there. And the I feel thing like is, Apple wouldn't even, I feel like Amazon wouldn't be that useful to Apple. Yeah, it's not that. Yeah. And they're not that useful to each other. Um, all right. Let's talk about the Grubhub thing because this was interesting. Uh, let, let me just explain what it yeah, is. Yeah, explain. Yeah. Explain. Okay. So if you didn't see, um, if you are a prime member in the United States, you can now get Grubhub Plus, which was, is basically their own prime thing that Grubhub had for free food delivery. So uh, any restaurant that is a part of Grubhub plus, you don't have to pay delivery fees um, on your food so you, delivery. Yeah. Fees. The customer would typically, if you're going to subscribe to Grubhub plus, you would pay nine 99 a month. And then you get delivery from all the restaurants that have signed up to be a part of the program. You get delivery for free. You still have to obviously pay for the meals, but you get the delivery component for free or, you get it for that nine ninety nine a month. Now you get it for free if you have uh, a Prime membership. Yep, I connected it already. Um, I don't use food delivery very often at all, and really, I wasn't using DoorDash or Uber Eats. Uber Eats, unless they would give me a fat coupon, because well, it's super expensive, and I can you know I'm not in a place where it's that hard to drive and go get something, um, or walk and go get something. But this could be. I don't want to overhype it because food delivery is a bad business, but if I'm DoorDash, I am sweating right now. I mean, this seems for one, here's why it's such a big deal is because so many households in the United States are prime members. And if you can get this account on there and basically Amazon's going to say, okay, 
this is kind of how I'm envisioning it because the, the economics on this are probably poor, at least at the start. Amazon's going to take a brunt of this, the losses that are going to pile up at the start, right? Because when you're offering this for free for prime members, they're obviously, they're going to do a revenue share with Grubhub, whatever it is. Um, it, what am I trying to say here? It's not going to, like, it's not, the unit economics would look terrible at first, but Amazon has so much capital that they can, they can absorb this easily. And then, door. I mean, Grubhub has fallen behind really, really badly in the United States, but I honestly think this could save them. It doesn't mean that this the the, the business is going to be good, but I I think it's more of like a bad thing for Uber and, and DoorDash. Yeah, that's what I thought initially as well. One thing that matters though is the amount is the actual restaurants that are on the program. I've heard from people that use DashPass and or, or Grubhub Plus type of thing, that a lot of the restaurants opt out of that stuff mm. or that they have like a different charge. Maybe it's like reduced, but it's still not uh, it's still not free. And so people feel like the value isn't there. I guess if you have the Prime membership, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really cost you anything. But I wonder if people just aren't, if maybe people just don't end up aware that they can get the Grubhub Plus thing. Because yeah, but maybe Grubhub doesn't have the reach to tell people unless Amazon, Amazon does. If Amazon, Amazon does. makes it very clear, then maybe it's worthwhile. But I think a lot of people already use DoorDash enough that they, it's just like habit. Yeah, but I, I, think I check it, both apps, but I am the rational consumer. <laughs> I mean, okay, here's the thing. Yes, there is probably a little bit of, uh, Switching costs. I don't know if that's even the right word. People stick with their app, right? You're probably maybe already paying for Dash Pass. You get the whatever the partnerships they have, I think, with some credit card companies. However, this is such a better deal. Like, I would think if people's wallets are tightening, which they are right now, I, I just don't. Yeah, I guess not everyone's the rational consumer. Not everyone is trying to think so frugally like us, but I mean, this would get me back into food delivery, if you go know what I mean. And I was basically out because it was so expensive. Does okay, let's. So it gets rid of the delivery fee. Does it get rid of the random fees that are also I associated tried it. I, with it? The transaction fee, the I, I Seattle fee. Yet. Yeah, I, I haven't tried it out yet. Um, so I will report back if this is more. If this is not the game changer I'm thinking. Because the amount but, of times I've bought like a burrito for eight bucks or ten bucks, and then it's twenty two dollars after fees. Yeah, and I'm done with that stuff. Yeah, I mean, like, it's not. I'll drive. I'm not, I'm not doing that. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. But I actually got a Uber. Just like I swear, like once a month, they'll say like, "Here's a twenty dollar gift card." I'll be like, all right, with uh, for your first order, and so I'll use it. Or fifty percent off. I get that email. Fifty percent off. <laughs> the fifty percent off still might not be worth it after fees, but the they gave me a twenty five dollar gift card for my first order, and I think I built some random account, and so I was like, all right, whatever, I'll take it. And then I uh, I put in the wrong address, and mm. it, and so I had to cancel the order, 
and it, I lost my $25 coupon. I was like, all right, I'm not buying from there. It doesn't matter, but just a sad, sad moment. Could have been a free burrito, but it was a one burrito for $22. It's unbelievable. Yeah. A Chipotle it's, burrito. Yeah. Which, as we all know, isn't even that good anymore. <laughs> Whoa. Just kidding. I mean, it's not I think you just had one sloppy experience. No. I mean, we had that one in Iowa, but... Or was it Iowa? I think it was Iowa. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. that's Iowa. It's tougher to get those fresh ingredients, but the Seattle one, it's not, it hasn't been the same anymore. And I've been to multiple. It's not the I same. Got the, I got the softest scoop of rice the other day. All it's, I'm asking for is warm here's the thing. rice. It's, it's, it needs to be warm. Like it's, it's, it's sometimes it's cold. I'm like, come on, just make this warm. It's poor what quality. They, uh, what's it called when they don't raise prices, but they reduce portion sizes? Oh, uh, shrinkflation. Yeah, they're hitting. They're hitting inflation from both sides, shrinkflation and inflation, because they increase price of the burritos, and I'm getting these sloppy little portions. They have been increasing the price of the burritos. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough spot. I don't think restaurants, it's a tough. I think this shows that there's a lot more risk in running a restaurant than people may think. I don't know if restaurants deserve premium valuations because of the macro factors, supply costs, labor costs that can bite you in the butt. Yeah, 100%. Even if you have like the best reputation, it could disappear. Starbucks is a great example. Oh wow! Is this a hot take or what? Oh, oh the yeah, okay. You're talking about the labor. No, stuff. yeah, the reputation with like labor, like they used yeah. to be known as someone that took really good care of their employees. They used to have all those like tuition help or whatever programs, like scholarships. Mm-hmm. And now they're seeing the rise of all these unions and hearing a lot of backlash from baristas. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one, so you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? (sighs) All blocked, thanks to advanced security, included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. I don't know. It is. It's a tough business (laughs) to be in. It's it's a horrible business to be in, it seems like. I like owning uh, companies that don't have labor. You know, there's difference between labor and employees. Um, all right. Here's another one. Let's see. What was... What about okay, the yeah, options yeah. thing? The... Yeah, I was about to bring it up. Here, okay. Here's the article. Let me read it off. Peloton is repricing options in one of the internal memos. This is a clip from an article, so it's kind of cutting in quickly. Peloton told employees that eligible team members will have their post IPO options repriced to Peloton's closing price on July 1st of $9.13. That's about 90% off, I think, from the highs. As an example, Peloton said options granted on March 1st had an exercise price of $27.62, and employees were not benefiting financially until the stock passed that threshold. Shocker. After the repricing, Peloton employees will be able to exercise their option after the price passes $9.13. There's so many things to talk about with this from an investing perspective, but generally thoughts, concerns from looking at a prospective company, like what are you thinking of with this option, the tech employee stuff right now? So this just means, let me make sure I'm getting it right, that it'll be 
those same options will vest at whatever the they can vest the nine dollars. Yeah, and I'm not sure if it means more dilution to make the dollar amounts equal. So like, I feel like it would have to be. Yeah, so this could be triple the dilution, or it could be a third of the amount at a lower price, or a third of the quoted dollar amount. Yeah. Well, if it's more dilutive, that sucks for shareholders. And it's, yeah. uh, the thing is, like, they probably would have gotten away with that in 2020. They didn't have to. That's not something they had to think of. Yeah. The, uh, we, we're starting to see, okay, there were all those stock based compensation haters, us included. In 2020, and there were a few companies that were just like ridiculous issuers of stock to employees, and everyone kind of overlooks it during a bull market. And now we're seeing just how much of a problem it can be when a company hitches their wagon to the stock price, Peloton included. But also, the big one that I'm thinking of is DocuSign. DocuSign had all their Apparently, a bunch of their sales reps are all quitting now because their options are like not going to be worth nearly as much as they thought. And they, they, whatever they said, the opportunity isn't there anymore. And Dan Springer talked about it on the conference call shortly before he was asked to resign. And he's like, the, a lot of the problem is the, the multiple compression that we've seen recently. <laughs> like, I'm tired of everyone saying like, well, there's nothing we can do. It's the business cycle. Like you I put yourselves in this position. Exactly. I cannot stand that. That is a huge red flag to me from management. And in general, if someone's heavy SBC, it is a bigger risk. Like that in and of itself, no matter what I think of the business, whatever is a bigger risk to me because you cannot predict what the stock price is going to do in the short run, even if they continue to execute with their business plan um, or with, you know, they continue to execute like you think it inherently has these risks. Employees are going to get emotional if their stock looks like it's down What whatever the value of their shares looks like they're down 80%, even though the quote unquote value of the business hasn't changed. It is very difficult to get con- like convince people of that. And I would just much rather pay people in cash. And if you can't, that's fine. But, and you maybe have to pay people in stock. If you're unprofitable, you're still kind of growing and stuff like that. But as an investor, I want a way bigger discount if a company is doing that. Um, And we're not like against investing in a company that, I mean, I'm not against investing in a company that does stock-based compensation. We own some, but it's just another factor to consider it's definitely a risk and we're seeing it play out right now. Um, and the risk is just one employee attrition and two uh, heavier dilution than you might've thought. Yeah. I wonder what all the tech, empl- all the tech employees that have been getting these insane options that pr- I, I bet part of the thought was, well, you better give me these options because I'm in like, I'm in hot demand from a lot of companies. Now, that doesn't seem to be the case. Like, there probably aren't a whole lot of alternatives. Like, let's take those DocuSign sales reps. You don't think equity values have compressed in other places? 
Yeah. I mean, maybe big tech has weathered the storm a little better. Maybe that's, they're going to have an easier time hiring, but you gotta, I don't know. Just don't, don't take too much stock, I guess, as an employee. Yeah. And don't issue too much as a company. Yeah. Unless, I mean, sometimes you have to. You know what else? Why, why on earth I've been thinking about this. Why did Daniel Eck buy call options? Oh, the uh, the warrants, basically call options. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting thing. I don't necessarily like it. it wasn't huge, but I mean, they're going to expire worthless. I know. It's just a waste of money. It feels so short term minded. Yeah, it was, it was a bit strange. No one really asked about it, so I don't really have any thoughts on what. I mean, it's his own money, thinking. so it's not like a big deal to shareholders. Hey, the but company got money because they. They, he bought them, so technically the company got some cash for it, but it is super strange. All right, we got a question here. Thank you, Achilles, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, for being the one person I think to join the show every week. On the note of SBC, what is the right way of treating the RSUs and options that will best in the future? Uh, that's the first one. Let's just hit that one first. I think it's very tough. People do the black skulls. Every company does the black skulls model. Um, I like to keep it simple conservative and assume whether it actually happens or not that all of them will vest and i just kind of i don't think uh i think there's a lot of false precision with this and all i really try to do is look at say two factors one how many um options are used basically combination of potentially dilutive securities outstanding how many of their uh like are existing out there uh compared to the share count and what is their granting pace historically? And just, I like to just uh, not go anywhere further except for saying, okay, I'm thinking share count maybe go will go up by 3% a year. Or if say it's a company that's producing share count with buybacks, it'll go down by 2% a year. I don't like to get any more precise than that. Um, there's no exact math. That's how I like to do it because you just want a general sense I think of where the share count could be moving. Um, but there yeah. is so you have no idea exactly what's going to happen. I mean, someone could, we're researching what Poshmark tomorrow and they randomly just granted 3% of their shares outstanding uh, in May. Stuff like that can happen. Um, and there's a lot of unexpected things with uh, stock options, which is why management, trusting them, trusting that they're good capital allocators, blah, 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 all that good stuff is so important with this, with this type of thing. That's one of the key things I think I look for in management because it's one of the things that they can control um, with a lot of, I mean, they, they have the, you know, they have all the control there, I think, or majority. Yeah. Here's the way I do it. It's basically the same as yours. And you can tell me if I'm thinking about this wrong, but so I, I just went to a Dropbox 10Q from like, 2018, 2019, because this is the most recent one that was in my mind. But on the first page, it says at the bottom of the page, it says, as of April 30th, 2018, there were 73.8, let's say, million shares of the registrants class A common stock outstanding. And then in parentheses, it says, which excludes 14.7 million shares of class A common stock subject to restricted stock awards that were granted pursuant to the co-founder grants, blah, 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 blah. You can choose to include those or not, but if you we just we we count it 
we, we include as the fully diluted shares outstanding. And then if it doesn't, or just invest, do both, great. or just do both to see how big of a difference it is. Yeah, you can, you can do both, but that way, let's say they don't vest, but they don't hit the options price. Nice little surprise. <laughs> it's great. Like you're on the, it's on the, well, not if you're a shareholder the whole time, probably, but it's uh, at least your, 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 your claim on the cash flow isn't being diluted and it and is, that's, it's a positive surprise in that sense. And I, and that is a great point when having the options there, you typically want to price in that they're going to vest because that means you're right. And the stock price is higher five years from now. So if a lot of the options aren't vesting, that means, well, you were probably wrong and it doesn't really matter. But the, here, here's the follow-up question from Achilles. But what share count do you treat as the actual share count? I think it depends. I like to keep it simple and just start with whatever is listed at the top of the 10Q or K. Uh, start with that. That's the you know current shares outstanding at the end of the period or the, the last when they filed the form. And then do whatever, say, go through into the stock-based compensation section of the filing. Look for any sort of potentially dilutive securities that are there, RSUs, options, PSUs, warrants, blah, 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 convertible notes, potentially. Uh, those get tricky, but do can, the can ordinary I, one and then also add in um, whatever those are if you want to do a fully diluted share count. But with a weighted average thing that is in the income statement, I ignore that completely. It's yeah. not helpful to me. It isn't. Um, it depends on the company, though. So, like some companies don't issue stock, like Constellation Software. Their weighted their weighted average shares outstanding. Well, it'll be the exact same. Them. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be the yeah. exact same. Yeah. Um, but if you got a company that issues a lot of stock based compensation, the weighted average shares is going to be very different than the dilutive securities or the the fully diluted share count later on. Um, once those do dilute. So is there a way, I know this isn't going to help podcast people, but is there a way to share my screen just so I can show people uh, oh, where? Um, can I give you that option? Yeah. We also got another question at what level of SPC does it raise a red flag for you? I don't think there is any. I have a hard <laughs> rule on that. But... Yeah, no hard rule. Participants, I don't even know how to do this. I'm just looking at the per share performance. Okay, Lars. I'm gonna make you a so, co-host so you'll be okay. able to do it. Uh, the question came from Lars Thorin. He says, "At which level of SBC does it raise a red flag for you? If you're, let's say, the share count doubles over a year, and they they spend a lot of money on stock-based compensation, uh, doubles, doubles. Or are you just trying to make an exaggerated? Trying scenario? to make it. Yeah, okay. I'm trying to make an easy rounded scenario. But revenue, 10x's, and let's let's assume." cash flow is like in line with that. I'm still fine that they paid out all that SBC because my per share growth is 5X. 5X. So I would just focus on the growth on a per share basis across all the different financial metrics. But yeah. I mean, me yeah, revenue per share. I mean, the key ones are revenue per share, gross profit per share, um, operating income or net income per share and uh, free cash flow per share, or maybe operating free cash flow per share too. But yeah, I just do all those per share. And if you want to get, I mean, this isn't even fancy. Sometimes I like to do it with both 
the ordinary share count and then the fully diluted one just to kind of see if there's a giant difference and whether we you know need to be pricing in any sort of dilution that's coming down the line uh but yeah all right what do you got here, right. ryan yeah so this is just how you kind of access it you go to the whatever the most recent 10 q just so, so i think some people might not know where this is so i'm trying to give them a good actual good idea so this is dropbox as of april 30th 2018 I don't know if you're going to be able to see that. I'll try to zoom in here. There were 73.8 million shares of registered class A common stock that excluded 14.73. So I add the 14.73 plus the 73.8. And then at the end, they've got another 326.6 million of the class C or class B, sorry. So uh, I just added all those. Sometimes it'll say they'll include it if it's in the money. So they'll say, which includes 10.5 million shares or whatever. So then you don't have to add it, obviously. But that's how I get to my fully diluted share count. And that can differ materially from the weighted average figure that they'll report in the income statement because there could be a whole bunch of options that are issued to employees at the end of the quarter, say, and the weighted average is going to be very different. Plus, they could be out of the money, so they might not be included. So that's that's the best way to measure it in my opinion yeah and there's other ways you can look at the share count like uh um you can go to oh what is it called the uh, the state what is that part called the statement of shareholders equity that that fourth one that everyone forgets about uh that people have to file for every quarter um you can find the share count usually there and then also near the end of the filing i usually control f if you're just trying to look for it quick you can find the stock options outstanding. You can find the specific RSUs. And that's where I'm looking for that granting pace because that can kind of tell you what the future, um, you know, SBC, not future SBC, excuse me, future dilution might be. But with that, it's a little bit of an exact science because you never know when someone's going to start granting a huge thing. CEO leaves and they bring in a new one, they give them a huge grant, stuff like that. I want to give a little... Uh, bit of like a painted picture too for anyone listening on the podcast because I know I just shared my screen and no one can see that over the podcast if you're listening. But the reason we care so much, and this is going to sound very basic, is because your shares that you own are claim tickets. And so even if the revenue, if it, everyone talks about like revenue growth, cash flow growth, and especially at sort of like an inexperienced level, or if you're learning, it's very easy to overlook your claim ticket on that growth or your claim ticket on their financial performance. So let's say the business had $100 in cash and there were 50 shares outstanding and you had, or let's make it more round, $100 in cash, that was like the whole business. It's, it's worth $100. And there's 100 shares or 100 claim tickets. You own 10 of them you theoretically own $10 worth of that company. And that's in liquidation. It's 10, 10, 10 of your claim tickets are worth $10. We Now, we're not really like modeling it out towards liquidation, but in theory, what are your claims worth on the cash flows? That's why we care, I guess, about the shares outstanding. I know that's sort of a fundamental concept or a very basic concept for probably our more advanced listeners, but- It's very important, so- yeah, it's very important. So we wanted to. That's why. That's why I, I like. Explainer. That's why free cash flow per share is tr- truly. And I'm not saying this as an exaggeration. Truly, the only metric we care about 
in the long run. That's the only thing I care about. And whether management is, you know, doing rational things with the cash flow that they, the free cash flow that they get. Um, all right. Other topics. Other topics. Well, the cryptocurrency market. Good, good questions, though. Yeah, great questions. Um, thank you both. Uh, all right. Other topics. Cryptocurrency continues to deleverage. There seems to be a credit crisis, which I think is funny because it's like a credit crisis and a, you know, magic bean credit crisis. I think I said this last week, but you have FTX saying they have $2 billion in cash and they're trying to backstop the cryptocurrency industry if needed. Doesn't, if you're a VC in FTX, do you think like, are you like, Hmm. Okay. Like, I don't know if this is the smartest move guys, because yeah, you have, you know, you get this take rate or whatever on these magic beans people are trading, which the CEO admitted they are or magic boxes, but buying them seems to, you know, <laughs> like what value are, are, are they getting here? It's, if you're it's just buying crazy. the accounts, it's not the end of the world, but if you're buying companies that are hemorrhaging cash, I would be very concerned as a VC, especially if you're not just axing all those employees as soon as you purchase the company. Exactly. And because you're just hurting your own financial performance. Yeah. And these investment crypto investment firms, which I think, whatever, um, I believe is a bit of an oxymoron. I was about to say that. Yeah. There's rumors, or not rumors, reports that the, I guess I don't want to say the name, lost 99% of customer funds like trying to short Luna, which was a cryptocurrency that collapsed. Um, and apparently they totally, it, it must have screwed up counterparty risk, something like that. And you have companies like BlockFi, like that just totally collapsed. There, There's this, well, maybe it's known to a few people, but it seems to be this totally unknown leverage in these systems. And to be honest, I'm surprised that the crypto prices aren't down farther, given all these blowups. I think time is more of the killer. Because if, all right, we keep getting these rallies, or not even rallies, let's say it's up from like 18K to 21K. Yeah, it's been in this band kind of, right? That's like enough for people to feel like, all right, I can get out. And it's, it's, I think if they don't see great returns over enough time, they will get bored of it, is my opinion. And then you'll start to see with withdrawals. And so I do think there's like a, just a time element to it. Because if it drops fast enough instantly, there's still the mindset of, like anchoring to what it was and that you're getting it on a discount. Whereas if it's the same, you start to reset what you think the price was. Does that make sense? Um, like, let's yeah. say, let's say it's at Bitcoin's at 65 K and it dropped to 20 K tomorrow. You're your, and there is no fat, there is no fundamental value. So your idea of what it's worth is 65 K despite the price being quoted to you at 20. So you think you're getting a discount. If it sits at 20K for a month or two months, 
you start to think maybe it isn't worth 65k maybe it's worth 20k yeah and if it sits and if it doesn't get really materially above 20k for three to four years then people might just yeah forget about it it's so interesting how this is going to play out because there's people that are super bullish i was stuck in this I got in this super unlucky traffic jam. I mean, it was unlucky for the giant accident, but like the whole highway was blocked, you know? And I listened to all of the Mark Andreessen show with uh, Joe Rogan. And, you know, interesting stuff, clearly a smart guy. And he just seems dead set that he's right on this crypto stuff. So there's going to be money flooding into this. And it's just going to be fascinating what actually happens because I'm of the belief that it's all just nothing and kind of, fairy tales but what i don't understand is why why are people there's the moral appeal or like the eth like i don't know if it's moral appeal but like people believe that there shouldn't be a central entity and that it's the the currency of the world should be like a function of the market like a function of buying and selling as opposed to one potential uh, central entity that can manipulate it but for what I, I don't believe that but why are people so afraid to come out against it yeah no I've said I think I tweeted that the other people end. are coming yeah. out now but it was like people were so afraid of like ruining the reputation by saying like oh I'm anti-crypto like yeah, there's nothing like- there's nothing here <laughs> Yeah, it is strange that no one like. If, What's if, changed? What has changed since the start of like? Nothing's changed. Like, what tangible benefit has humanity gotten from well, Bitcoin, <laughs> Bitcoin rising in price? Well, it seems like people raised a lot of money through some nice conferences or <laughs> parties, but the uh, that seems nice. You know, that there's some nice parties. There's only been detriments, right? Chip shortage. Oh yeah, I mean. Come on. You know my waste take. waste of resources. Yeah, uh, yeah. If we eliminated it, semiconductors, energy. Yeah, I mean it's a net positive to society. Um, it's kind of funny to me. It, it reminds me of like the someone that's like, oh yeah, we're giving some solar panels to this African village. You know, that's super poor. And uh, you know, when Dorsey went to Africa and is like, we're bringing Bitcoin to Africa. And I can only imagine all the people that are like, dude, we just want clean water, electricity, internet, and HVAC. Like, you got billions of dollars. How about you just do that for us? Like, come on. You know, they're like, we're saving the world. It's like, dude, just get these. You're rich. Let's just get people running water. Okay. Like, did he, end up, not, <laughs> did he ever end up going to Africa? I feel like uh, he just went there for a, a trip to meet a bunch of you know business people stuff like that but he never ended up staying yeah i do wonder if people were like yeah listen we don't want what you're selling so you can, <laughs> you can, you can either help or, or go back home we'll take the money but we're just gonna you know we need to get some basic necessities for our people. you know what else there was okay so i looked into i i watched the block investor day thing oh did you block out five hours <laughs> it I don't know if it was that long, but the, uh, the when they went into the crypto part, first of all, they do intentionally keep a lot of it a black box. But one of the segments of their business in there is grants to crypto projects. 
grants. Grants. Wow. wow. They're giving money away. There's no way that that is like considered um, charity. So yeah, I mean, the stock- there's no way it's a tax write-off. So they're literally giving shareholder dollars away. Yeah, I mean, the stock's uninvestable. I mean, it's clear. It's pretty clear. Even if it's a tiny amount, they're just blatantly giving it away. Yeah, I mean, if you saw Dorsey's tweet, like this might, I, look, there's a ton of square block shareholders out there. But if you saw Dorsey's tweet about, uh, what was it? Expanding the world's consciousness, basically re- repeating what Adam Newman said about Elon and stuff like that. And you still think it's smart to own a company that he's running? Like, I'm sorry, you can't. Like, I, I just don't think it's just like, there's a way, I mean, it could turn out great and they could succeed. But I, either way, like say the stock is double from here in five years, something like that, right? If that happens, I still don't think it's a smart move to own it today. The risk reward isn't there. Have you seen the Jurassic World, the new Jurassic movie? No, don't really like those. Not my favorite. Yeah, I watched it last night. It wasn't it wasn't spectacular, but the uh, is it streaming or in theaters? It's in theaters, and the uh, well, your guy, Snohomish, hometown hero. Oh yeah, Chris Pratt. He, yeah, exactly. Lake Stevens. He's Lake Stevens. Lake guy. North but, Seattle uh, hero. Yeah. Um, there's like this figurehead character that's like loosely based off like this Elon Musk Dorsey type figure who's like <laughs> basically like the the, the enemy. And in there, in one part, there's like this guy who gives this just full of shit speech where he's like, we are, we are, we've built this dinosaur sanctuary to elevate the world's consciousness. And they're like taking shots at that, like that type of thinking. And then afterward, he's like, oh, that was all a bunch of crap. Like, I don't believe any of that. And so I... I don't well, know. I, maybe it's, I should watch it worth, just for that scene. The, yeah, listening to that was kind of an interesting character to see, um, and it's—I don't know who it's—I don't know if it's based on any one person actually, but it's like loosely based on like this tech figurehead type character. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, maybe I do need to watch. Um, all right, we got probably time for one more topic. Anything else? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Got any more of your Twitter likes? No. No. Let me take a look. The uh, It's boring until earnings season, really. You know what I think about a lot is, and hopefully there's no like AMC people that listen to us, but like, how did that, that CEO of AMC get there? Like, how did he become the CEO? No, I think he... Isn't he like a little crazy? No, I think he was normal, and then he just played to his saying this is like a political term, but playing to his base. Now he like perp like. Do you think so, or do you? Oh think yeah, like- dude, he didn't purposely have his pants off during that thing. You know, he didn't purposely. He he's he's playing to his base and trying to raise money, and I think they are selling stock, uh, which could be a bit selfish and immoral. But I think that's his strategy from what I've read. Um, yeah. If you, I, yeah. Uh, 
yeah, I guess that's probably more accurate. And considering that he sold like whatever it was, hundred million dollars worth of stock. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't okay. know. would you? Okay, would you have done the same thing? It's an impossible position to be in for a hundred million dollars. If you yeah. knew you would get the financial benefit that Adam Aaron got, would you act like that and do stuff that is sort of unorthodox? It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. But I, I don't know if the reputation risk, if you're already in that position, I don't know if the reputation risk is there because, you know. Would you, you rather be I mean? would you rather be rich and respected by no one or you can still be like I, what I'm saying is you can still have the money you want by not doing that um, just because if you handle the situation well you're gonna set yourself up for success over the next couple whatever decades or however it is here's another one rumors that Avalara I know this isn't a popular stock is gonna get bought out um, which would be disappointing for long-term shareholders because the stock's down a ton. That's something we've, it's a company we've looked at loosely. seems like an interesting business. The, the topic I want to do though, is the risk of private equity takeout below or an acquisition during a bear market. That's say a 20% premium, but way, way lower than what you think it can be in five years. Is that a huge, I think it's a big risk right now. I wonder if it's just, Companies not wanting to deal with the bear market, like not wanting to have to deal with the pressure of of employees and the stock and compensation related to that, and how like employee morale, and maybe that maybe it's better to just be well. Now that our stock's not going up, maybe we go private. Yeah, that's interesting, and I think say we come out of this bear market a year or two from now, whenever it is. I feel like the companies that come out the other side that a, you know, didn't take the buyout offer, still try to execute on their plan, still acted, you know, you see management acting in ways that you think is not stupid for shareholders, right? That can be a huge positive indicator that this is a company that has their right head on its shoulders through the executive team blah, 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 right? I think that can be a huge positive indicator compared to investing in something, company, say, three years ago that had never been in a bear market that went public five years ago or something like that, five years before that. You're, there's a little more unknown there on how this management team is truly thinking or what like they're actually going to do. Yeah, it feels weird Avalara's case in particular, because that felt like a very competent management team. They outlined like a 10-year well, plan of like okay, a well-run business yeah, yeah. and a business that seemed to have barriers to entry and they were really doing well. And it was one where I read there was actually a good value investors club write up on them recently um, that sort of outlined the competitive advantages and why it's difficult for a Shopify or an Amazon or um, like wherever you sell to be the provider of that. Yeah. Why didn't Shopify take them out with stock? Dumb. All right. Yeah. There's no com- confirmation on this, but it's up seven, 16% on a takeover rumor. So it, there's something's got to be there. You know, people know. All right. Two minutes left. What do you think of the buff dog in Sun Valley? 
Yeah, the mask on. Stay safe. You know, old man. It's smart, smart. Um, did, you, did you see his shirt? No, he does wear that Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, loves the Sun Valley. Fluorescent yellow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, Sun Valley is interesting. It's a great place. I've been there. Um, not to the conference, obviously, but it's a weird. Uh, it's a weird conference for sure. It's where he had the famous speech. where he had the famous speech in '99. Yeah. Do you um, think he's and gonna? Then Bezos, and then Bezos one is the only one that went up to him, which is very looking back now is like cool story. Yeah. All right. You get one CEO in their prime. Who is it? Okay. Depends on the company, but I am going to go Bill Gates because smartest man. Smart. One of, okay. Probably the smartest person that ran a public company the last 50 years. I think, I mean, yeah, I, I would I go Gates. I think I'd take Bezos. Maybe I haven't read up enough on Gates, but. Bezos did turn a bad, through sheer willpower, turned a bad business and some, and through a little bit of, you know, some good innovation with Prime, turned a bad business into a monster, which I guess that's huge props for the team. Yeah, that's what I mean. You think about like, I, I always think about now what he's built, how it's just like an absolute logistics machine. And it's, how not him, can, it's not just him, but yes, he led the charge. With and the how they can yeah. leverage that now. It to me, it, it isn't like he, he did not just fall into a gold mine. No, it's a hard business, except for, yeah, it was a, it took tons of execution. And so I think, I, I think he's going to be my number one. Yeah. Rockefeller. What about the TSMC maybe. guy? It seemed real. Just I'm not familiar. All right. Well, yeah. We have the basic choices, Gates and Bezos, but I think they're basic for a reason because everyone knows them. Um, all right, I'm going to end the live stream. That's going to do it. Check out the, if you're watching on YouTube, you can listen to all the other shows on the Spotify and Apple links or wherever you listen to podcasts live on YouTube every Thursday, 12 p.m. Pacific. Come join us. Thank you all for listening. Thank you.